Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Our 763rd day together in God's Word brings us to Isaiah 64. We're really picking up where we were yesterday in this prayer that Isaiah is pleading before the Lord for him to come and save his people from this oppression and from this hard-hearted rebellion that they need to be rescued from. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful and stirring and challenging. We need to hear it. Uh, Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are tender to receive. Give us lives that are prepared by your spirit to respond in faith and obedience because your word is life and light and the way we should walk and we need to walk in it. So empower us to do so by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him. Sorry about that. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry. And we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name. Who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. And have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please, look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? That is Isaiah 64. Mm. So, it's a pretty desperate plea from Isaiah to the Lord. He's, he's asking him to just rip apart the heavens and come down. Ultimately, this prayer is answered. This kind of language is answered when Jesus returns again. So we go back to what we had at the beginning of chapter 63 yesterday. The Lord himself marching forth in vengeance, right? But this is salvation that comes only from the Lord. And yesterday I was saying how we need to see this this terrible state that the church is in. 
we need to be grieved by it. We need to realize that when the church is worldly and compromised and plagued with false teaching and divided and materialistic and apathetic, we need to see that that is not, that that's not good. And, and there may be some question of like, well, what do you mean exactly by that? And how is it that we're worldly and we're compromised, we're apathetic? And, and there's a way that you can misinterpret this, right? So one of the ways that in a culturally narrow, culturally captive and actually worldly sense that we could misunderstand this is to confuse the church with America, right? And to say, oh, America, we've got a border crisis on the southern border with hundreds of thousands of people pouring over and they're taking over and our, our culture as a country is becoming devalued with all sorts of immorality that's being promoted. And yes, that is a problem. Those are, those are very real issues, right? But that's not what Isaiah is talking about. And that is a bad application of what is being put forth here because America is not the church. America is not a Christian kingdom. It certainly is not the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is. And so what do I mean when I say the church is in a terrible place? Well, by lots of measures, right? The majority of people who profess to have an evangelical Christian faith have no affiliation with a local church right now in America. For the first time in the history of the church in America, the majority of people who profess to have an evangelical Christian faith are churchless. It's churchless Christianity. That's terrible. That's terrible. You also have many churches that are called Christian churches, but are so compromised with the world that they're not preaching the gospel. Those in mainline churches have undermined the authority of scripture and no longer preach Christ the Lord as the way of salvation, but they preach basically social justice or do-goodism or whatever. You have others who are preaching the prosperity gospel. You have others who are preaching basically a gospel of, of self-help, self-esteem, pop psychology. The preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified, of the gospel, is not common among churches. And then those who claim to believe that gospel are not in churches. It's terrible. And then those who are in churches. So if we just focus on those who are evangelical Christians, who have, when I'm saying an evangelical faith, you believe the Bible is the word of God. You believe that Jesus is the son of God and the only salvation for sinners. You believe that, you know, you have to believe in him in order to be saved. You believe that the, the core doctrines of the gospel, right? So for those who are church going, church affiliated, and evangelically minded Christians, a, a generation ago, people in that category would be at church like three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. They were very committed. They would not miss church. They would be there. They were there to worship. They were there to pray. They were there to learn and grow. Now, on average, Church-going evangelical Christians go to church two or three times a month, maybe twice a month, maybe three times a month, only on Sunday mornings, right? Most churches don't have Sunday evening services. We don't have one at Forest Hill because we don't have our own building, but I do hope 
that Lord willing, when we get into our own building, we are planning on doing Sunday evening church. And I'm fully prepared that there might not be that many people who show up. And that's sad. That's, that is a measure of the spiritual poverty of the church. Someone once said, if you want to know how popular a church is, look at how many people are there on Sunday morning. And then they said, if you want to know how popular the pastor is, look at how many people come back on Sunday evening for more of the pastor's teaching. And then they said, if you want to know how popular God is in that church, look at how many people show up for prayer meeting. Ouch. And that is, that is what I mean. That kind of thing is what I mean by the spiritual poverty of the church. And how does that manifest itself? It manifests itself in the fact that Christians who go to church are living like the world. They're not giving much of their money to the church. They're not investing in time or money in the kingdom of God. So people give the average evangelical Christian gives about two and a half to three percent of their income, not ten. And we know some people give nothing, right? So um, <clears throat> two and a half to three percent. And <clears throat> excuse me. And the lifestyle is no different. There's this multiplication of semi-pornographic programming that is all over streaming services and Christians are watching it just as much as non-Christians. And <clears throat> they're just going along with the world. Divorce rates, uh, all sorts of measures of moral poverty are the same, almost the same among church-going Christians or professing evangelicals as they are against as the popular general population. So some people look at things like that and say, well, Christianity doesn't work. It's just the same as everything else. It's really no different. That's not true because people who are actively committed and involved at a solid gospel preaching church and who take their faith seriously so that they read the Bible outside of church and they pray regularly as a family, those families have much better measurables in terms of better marriages. The children grow up better. They, they do serve better. They give more of their time and money, not only to the local church, but to their community. And so it's not that Christianity doesn't work, right? Um, it's that it's most of the time just being ignored. True biblical Christianity to walk with, with the Lord. So all that is background to say, this urgent plea from Isaiah is something that we need to be praying for the church. Is it really that bad? Yes, it really is that bad. And we need God to come and save us. God is the only one who can save us. God is the one who, who forgives our sin, who redeems us powerfully. God is the God who acts for those who wait for him. So we need to wait for him. We need to pray to him. We need to wait upon him. We need to plead to him that he would save us. Because we have become like one who was unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And all of our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. You've hidden your face from us. You've made us melt in the hands of our iniquity. But you, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry. Remember not iniquity forever. Please look. We are your people. We need to pray that to the Lord. 
We need to gather and pray that to the Lord. We need to pray that in our homes, with our families, in our churches. We need to pray and say, Lord, you're the only one who can save us from ourselves and from the world and from the deceptions of the enemy. And we need you. We need you. The holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you is burned by fire. Maybe not literal physical fire, but by the worldliness. It is, it is decimated. Will you keep silent? We need to ask the Lord to move. He's our only hope. And I believe he will. I believe he will because he is the only one who is a God who acts for those who wait for him. So I believe he will act. I believe he will revive his church. I believe he will restore and renew his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are your people called by your name. The world presses in with its distractions and deceptions. Our flesh craves selfishness and laziness. Satan accuses you of wrongdoing and causes us to doubt your goodness. But you are our God and we are called by your name. Redeem and restore us. Strengthen us. Purify us. Revive us. Restore us. We need you. Please hear our pleas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that's Isaiah 64. Really, this two-part, Isaiah 63 and 64, just great chapters to really be in, meditate in, pray and plead. Uh, get together with some other Christians. Get together in small groups. Get together and pray. Earnestly seek the Lord for him to move on behalf of his people. Well, tomorrow we're going to be back in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, a very long and confusing chapter. So you can pray for me that I can understand it clearly and be able to uh, teach it clearly. It really gives a very, very accurate prophecy about human history. And so may the Lord bless us as we gather for that tomorrow for Daniel 11. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.